Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Go, sing it. No! Oh, I thought you were trying to sing it for the podcast. No. Did you brush your teeth? Mm-hmm. Did you do a really good job? Mm-hmm. Did you do the floss? Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you one more time. Did you floss? Yes! Peyton? I did, actually. Okay. Here, do you want me to bring... Yep. No, 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 no. I believe you. Your waist... Okay. She's going to go show me that she actually flossed. Wow! That is impressive. Good for her. She's a good kid, you guys. Good kid. Let's see. I hear footsteps. You're kidding me! Yep. She actually flossed her teeth. Unless she just threw it into the garbage right now. I don't think she had time to do that, though. And she is not a fibber. Good job. <clears throat> Did you do mouthwash? Mm-hmm. Girl. Dude. Cavity-free club. Girl. Yes, girl. She high-fived me with her forehead. Will you do me a favor? You shut your door all the way so doggies don't come in here. Because yeah. remember, reading with dogs podcast. Dude, at school after school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, dude. When our teacher lets us go to line up mm-hmm. for our parents to get us. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he usually does a fist bump, and I sometimes do this. Ah, uh, who? To the teacher. The teacher does. That's so cool. But guy teachers are the best. Honestly, they're like chill, huh? No. Oh, you wanted a girl teacher. No offense. No, no, no. It's okay. You're not. You're not being offensive. Girls. I mean, girls aren't guys. Guy teachers can be intimidating if you're a girl. Especially, you know, whatever. You're gonna have your your Disney teacher back next year. Woo 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 woo. No, what do you mean? Yes, she is. She's fifth grader. Guess what? I told her we would like to have you again as a teacher. And guess what else? When we go to Disneyland again, we're going to get her a gift. And guess what else? Mm-hmm. She'll for sure make sure you're in her class. Because guess what? Mm-hmm. People who love Disney together, stay together. People who Disney together, stay together. People that love Disney, love Disney together. Okay. Are you nerd singing? No. Oh. That's a song that's, um, that's famous. Oh, okay. Ready? Ready, nerd? A series <gasps> of... An, you said you're nerd. Oh, what? you said you're not nerd singing. Are you okay? I don't know. A series of unfortunate events by Lemony's Naked Book, the 12th, the penultimate peril. <laughs> hey, I made some porridge. Oh, that sounds gross. Okay. Well, it's like pumpkin pie porridge, but I didn't do pumpkin, so it's just like pumpkin pie seasoning, and it's like sweet and cinnamon, sugar, rice. It's actually really good. Okay. Chi up to 10, honey. What was that? A voice called out. It sounded like a harpoon gun being fired, cried another voice. A harpoon gun, asked the third voice. This is supposed to be a hotel, not a shooting gallery. 
I heard a splash, cried somebody. Me too, agreed someone else. It sounded like somebody fell into the pond. The Baudelaire orphans gazed at the settling surface of the pond and saw the reflection of the shutters in the window opening on every story of the Hotel du... du, du, du what is it called? Hotel du Numont. Du, oh, God. Oh, my gosh. I lost it. Hotel... Oh, my gosh. Dunamon? Oh, crumbum. No, it's not Dumont. We got... Denouement. Denouement. Okay. Woo, we got it, people. We're struggling a little bit. We're on the struggle bus today. Lights went on and the silhouettes of the people appeared, leaning in, leaning out of the windows and pointing down at the sweeping, ch- at the weeping children who were too upset to pay much attention to all of the shouting. What is all that shouting about? Asked another voice. I was fast asleep. What? It's in the middle of the night, complained somebody else. Why is everybody yelling? I'll tell you why they're yelling, yelled someone. Someone was shooting harpoon gun and then fell into the pond. Come back to bed, Bruce, said someone else. Somebody got shot and they're like, come back to bed. I can't sleep if there's murders on the loose, cried another guest. Amen, brother, said another person. Amen. Amen. If a crime has been committed, then it's our duty to stand around in our pajamas and name in, in the name of justice. I can't sleep anyway, said somebody. That lousy Indian food has kept me up all night. Somebody tell me what's going on, called a voice. The reader of the Daily Punctilio will want to know what has happened. We're going to start calling our news the Daily Punctilio because they just can't get anything right. (laughs) That's funny. The sound of the voice... uh, The sound of the voice of Geraldine Julian in the mention of her inaccurate publication forced the children to stop crying, if only for a moment. They knew that it would be wise to postpone their grief, a phrase here which meant mourn the death of Dewey Dunamon a moment later, and make sure that the newspaper printed the truth. There's been an incident, Violet called, not turning her eyes from the surface of the pond. A terrible incident. One of the hotel managers has died, Klaus said. Which one? asked a voice from the high window. Frank or Ernest? Dewey, Sonny said. There's no Dewey, said another voice. That's a legendary figure. He's not a legendary figure, Violet said indignantly. He's a sub... Klaus put put his hands on his sister. Had the eldest Baudelaire stopped talking. Dewey's catalog is a secret, he whispered. We can't have it announced to the Daily Punctilio. But truth, Sonny murmured. Klaus is right, Violet said. Dewey asked us to keep his secret and we can't fail him. She looked sadly out at the pond and wiped the tears from her eyes. It's the least that we can do, she said. She didn't realize that this was a sad... I didn't realize that this was a sad occasion, said another guest, hotel guest. We should observe everything carefully and intrude only if absolutely necessary. I disagree, someone said with a raspy shout. We should intrude right away and observe only if necessary. We should call the authorities, said someone else. We should call management. We should call the concierge. We should call my mother. We should look for clues. We should look for weapons. We should look for my mother. We should look for suspicious people. Suspicious people, repeated another voice. But this is supposed to be a nice hotel. Nice hotels are crawling with suspicious people, someone else remarked. I saw a a washerwoman who was wearing a suspicious wig. I saw a concierge carrying a suspicious item. I saw a taxi carrying a a suspicious passenger. Oh, I saw a cook preparing suspicious food. I saw an attendant holding a suspicious spatula. I saw a man with a suspicious cloud of smoke. I saw a a baby with a suspicious lock. I saw a manager wearing a suspicious uniform. I saw a woman wearing a suspicious lettuce. I saw my mother. I can't see anything, someone yelled. 
It's as dark as a crow flying through the pitch black night. I see something right now, cried a voice. There are three suspicious people standing at the edge of the pond. They're the people who were talking to the reporter, cried somebody else. They're refusing to show their faces. They must be the murderers, cried another person. Nobody else would act as suspiciously as that. We'd better hurry downstairs, said one more guest, before they escape. Wow, squealed another voice. Wait until the readers of the Daily Punctilio read the headlines. Vicious murder at the Hotel Denouement. That's much more exciting than an inc- than an accident. Mob psychology, Sunny said, remembering the term that Klaus had taught her shortly before she took her first steps. You know what I... What is the... I'm totally rem- drawing a blank here, but the cafe... Oh my gosh. What's the what's the cafe in Ho- in um New Orleans? Cafe Oh my gosh. Hold on. I'm I'm looking this up you guys because honestly, it's going to drive me crazy. I just remembered that's what it reminds me of. Um New Orleans. L-R-L-E-A-N-S. Beignets. Okay, it's called Cafe Du Monde. very close to denouement i knew it was close cafe dumont is where they make all of the super super yummy um beignets that's where i don't want to say that's where beignets came from but anyways another disney thing if you guys go to disneyland you have to get a beignet but the ones inside the park kind of like they're bad they're like hollow and like blech. But if you go to the ones in downtown Disney, it used to be called the Jazz Kitchen Express. Now they renamed it something else. Same stuff, same place. It's right next to the Jazz Restaurant. So good. Both places. And if you go to the Jazz Restaurant, you have to get the shrimp and grits. OMG. If you're an adult, you'll appreciate that. Okay, sorry. I'm hungry and I'm like waiting for dinner to be done. So I'm thinking about food. Okay. Back to the story. Wow, squealed another voice. Wait until the readers of the Daily Punctilio read the headline, Victims Vicious Murder at the Hotel Denouement. That's much more exciting than an accident, mob psychology, Sunny said, remembering a term that that Klaus had taught her shortly before she took her first steps. Sunny's right, said Klaus, wiping his eyes. This crowd is getting angrier and angrier. In In a moment, they'll believe we're all murderers. Maybe we are, Violet said quietly. Poppycock, Sunny said firmly, which meant something along the lines of nonsense, accident. It was an accident, Klaus said, but it was our fault. Partially, Sunny said. It's not, it's not for us to decide, Violet said. We should go inside and talk to Justice Strauss and the others. They'll know what to do. Maybe, Klaus said, or maybe we should run. Run, Sunny said. We can't run, Violet said. If we run, everyone's going to think we're murderers. Maybe we are, Klaus pointed out. All the noble people in the lobby have failed us. We can't be sure that they'll help us now. Violet heaved a great sigh, her breath still shaky from her tears. Where should we go, she whispered. Anywhere, Klaus said simply. We could go somewhere where there's no where no one was ever, had ever heard of Olaf or VFD. There must be noble people in the world that we could fi- and we could find them. There are other noble people in the world, Violet said. They're, they're on their way here. <sighs> Dewey told us to wait until tomorrow, and I think that we should stay. Tomorrow might be too late, Klaus said. I think we should run. Torn, Sunny said, which, mean, which meant something along the lines of, I see the disadvantages and the advantages of both plans of action. But before the siblings could answer, the children felt a shadow over them and looked up to see a tall, skinny figure standing over them. In the darkness, the children could not see any of his features, only the glowing tip of his skinny cigarette in his mouth. 
Do you need a taxi? He asked and gestured to an automobile that had brought Justice Strauss and Jerome Squalor to the entrance of the hotel. The siblings looked at one another and then squinted up at the man. The children thought perhaps his voice was familiar, but it might just have been the unfathomable tone which they'd heard so many times since their arrival at the hotel that made everything seem familiar and mysterious at the same time. Ah, uh, we're not sure, Violet said. Violet said after a moment. You're not sure? The man asked. Whenever you see someone in a taxi, they're probably being driven to, to do some errand. Surely there must be something you need to do or somewhere you need to go. A great American novelist wrote that people travel faster now, but she wasn't sure if they do better things. Maybe you would do better things if you traveled at this very moment. We don't have any money, Klaus said. You don't need to worry about money, the man said. Not if you're who I think you are. He leaned in towards the Baudelaire's. Are you? He asked. Are you who you, who I think you are? The children looked at one another again. They had no way of knowing, of knowing, of course, if this man was a volunteer or an enemy, a nobleman or a treacherous person. In general, of course, a stranger who tries to get into an automobile is anything but noble. And, in general, a person who quotes a great American novelist is anything but treacherous. And, in general, a man who says, you don't need to worry about money, or a man who smokes cigarettes is somewhat somewhere in between. The Baudelaire orphans were not standing in general. They were not standing in general. They were standing outside the Hotel Denouement at the edge of the pond where a great secret was hidden. While a crowd of guests grew more and more suspicious of the terrible thing that had just occurred, the children thought of the Duke of Dewey and remembered that... Peyton, could you make any more noise over there? Could you just be a little bit louder? Thank you. <laughs> Uh, the children thought that Dewey thought of Dewey and remembered the terrible, terrible sight of him sinking into the pond. Then they realized that they had no way of knowing if they themselves were good or evil, let alone the mysterious the mysterious man towering over them. We don't know, Sonny said finally. Baudelaire's came a sharp voice out of the stairs, followed by a fit of coughing. Okay, Peyton, you gotta knock that noise off, dude. Hey, Jiminy Christmas. And the siblings turned to see Mr. Poe, who was staring at the children and covering his mouth with a white handkerchief. What has happened? he asked. Where is the where is the man that you shot with the harpoon? The Baudelaire's were too weary and unhappy to argue with Mr. Poe's description of what happened. He's dead, Violet said, and the Anne found tears that were in her eyes once more. Mr. Poe coughed once more into much once more into astonishment and then stepped down the stairs and stood in front of the children whose welfare had been his responsibility. Dead, he said. How did that happen? It's difficult to say, Klaus said. Difficult to say, Mr. Poe frowned. But I saw you, Baudelaire's. You were holding that weapon. Surely you can tell me what happened. Hagenbergenson, Sonny said, which meant it's more complicated than that. But Mr. Poe only shook his head as if he had heard enough. You'd better come inside, he said with a weary sigh. I must say I am very disappointed in you children. Oh my gosh, could you imagine if you killed somebody and I said I am disappointed in you? <laughs> when I was in charge of your affairs, no matter how many homes I found you and how many terrible, terrible things occurred, then... You decide to handle your own affairs. The Daily Punctilio brought more and more news of your treachery with each passing day. And now I've found you again. I see that once more an unfortunate event has occurred and another guardian is dead. You should be ashamed of yourselves. He wasn't their guardian. Yeah. 
The Baudelaire's did not answer. Dewey Denouement, of course, had not been their official guardian at the Hotel Denouement, but he had looked after them, even when they did not know it, and he had done his best to protect them from the villainous people lurking around their home. Even though he wasn't a proper guardian, he was a good guardian, and the children were ashamed of themselves for participating in his unfortunate death. In silence, they waited while Mr. Poe had another fit of coughing, and then the banker put up his hands and the Baudelaire's shoulders, pushing them towards the entrance to the hotel. There are people who say that the criminal behavior is the destiny of children from a broken home, he said. Perhaps such people are right. This isn't our destiny, Klaus said, but he did not sound very sure. Oh, maybe he said, this isn't our destiny. Maybe he was like all weak like that, like, this isn't our destiny, Klaus said, but he did not sound very sure. And Mr. Poe merely gave him a sad, stern look and kept pushing. If someone taller than you has ever reached down to push you by the shoulder, then you know it is not a pleasant way to travel. But the Baudelaire's were too upset and confused to care. Up the stairs they went, and the banker plodding behind them in his ugly pajamas and only when they reached the cloud of steam that will that still wafted across the entrance did they think to look back at the mysterious man who had offered them a ride by then the man was already back inside of the taxi and was driving slowly away from the hotel denouement and just as the children had no way of knowing if he was a good person or not they had no way of knowing if they were sad were relieved to see him go and even after months of research and many sleepless nights many people uh, many dreary afternoons spent in the front of an enormous pond throwing stones in the hopes that somebody would find would not would would someone would notice the ripples i was making i have no way of knowing if the baudelaire should have been sad or relieved to see him going either i do know who the man was and i do know where he went afterwards and i do know the name of the woman who was hiding in the trunk and the type of musical instruments that were laying carefully in the back of the seat and the ingredients of a sandwich that was tucked into a glove compartment and even the small item that sat in the passenger seat still damp from its hiding place oh my gosh he was a good guy and he had the sugar bowl knew it she didn't answer me she did not give me she did not give me an answer but she looked at me like maybe but I cannot tell you if the Baudelaire's would have been happier. Oh, you don't even know. Oh, she doesn't know. Would even be happier in the man's company or if it would be better that he drove away from the three siblings looking back at them through the rearview mirror and clutching the monogram napkin in his trembling hand. I do know that if he had gotten into his taxi, their troubles at home, oh, at the Hotel Denouement would have been their um, penultimate peril and they would have had quite a few more woeful events in their lives and they would be taken 13 more books to describe but i have no way of knowing if it would be better or for or it would have been better for the orphans any more than i know if it would have been better for them or better for me had i decided to continue my life's work rather than researching the baudelaire story or if it would have been better for my sister if she had decided to join the children at the hotel denouement instead of water skiing towards captain widdershins and late later water skiing away from him or if it would have been better for you to step inside the taxi cab you saw not so long ago and embarked on your own series of events rather than continuing with your life that you have have for yourself there is no way of knowing there is no when there is no way of knowing what one can only imagine i imagine that the baudelaire orphans were quite frightened indeed and when they walked through the entrance of the hotel they saw the crowded 
they saw a crowd of people waiting for them in the lobby. There they are, roared someone from inside of the back of the room. The children could see who it was because the lobby was crowded as it had been when they first set foot in the perplexing hotel. It had been strange to walk through the enormous doomed room, domed room that morning, passing unnoticed in the concierge in their concierge disguises, but at this time every person in the lobby looked directly at them. The children were amazed to see the countless familiar faces from every chapter of their lives. They saw many people as they could not be sure if they had recognized or not. Everyone was wearing pajamas, nightgowns, or some other sleepwear and was glaring at the Baudelaire through the eyes of Squinty and being awakened in the middle of the night. It was it is always interesting to observe what people are wearing in the middle of the night, although there are more pleasant ways to make such observations without being accused of murder. Those are the murderers. They're not ordinary murderers, cried Geraldine, who was wearing a bright yellow nightshirt and had a shower cap over her hair. They're the Baudelaire orphans. A ripple of astonishment went through the pajamaed crowd and the children washed whoops, sorry, the children wished that they had thought to put their sunglasses back on. The Baudelaire orphans, cried Sir, whose pajamas had the initials L.S. stenciled over over the pocket, presumably for lucky smells. I remember them. I They caused the accident in my lumber mill. The accidents weren't their fault, Charles said, whose pajamas matched his partner's. They were the fault of Count Olaf. Count Olaf is another one of their victims, cried the woman, cried a woman dressed in bright pink bathrobe. The Baudelaire's recognized her as Miss Morrow, one of the citizens of the village of foul devotees. He was murdered the night right in my hometown. That was Count Omar, said another citizen of the town named Mr. Lesko, who apparently slept in the same plaid pajamas he wore during the day. I'm sure the Baudelaire's aren't murderers, Jerome Squalor said. I was their guardian and I always found them to be polite and kind. They were pretty good students, if I remember correctly, said Mr. Ramora, who was wearing a nightcap shaped like a, ba a banana. They were pretty good students, if I remember correctly, Vice Principal Nero mimicked. They were nothing of the sort. Violet and Klaus flunked all sorts of tests, and Sunny... No, they didn't. They did not flunk, remember? They passed them. All They flunked all sorts of tests, and Sunny was the worst administrative ass assistant that I have ever seen. Um, first of all, she was a baby. <sighs> and she handmade staples. Wow. I say they're criminals, Mr. Mrs. Bass said, adjusting her wig, and criminals ought to be punished. Yes, said Hugo. Criminals are too freakish to be running around loose. They're not criminals, Hal said firmly, and I should know. So should I, retorted Esme Squalor, and they're as guilty as sin. Her long silver fingernails rested on the shoulder of Carmelita Spatz, who was glaring at the siblings as Mr. Poe pushed past them. I think they're guiltier than that, said one of the hotel bellboys. I think they're I think they're even guiltier than you think they are, cried another cried another. I think they look like nice kids, said someone, and the children did not recognize them. Oh so said someone that the children did not recognize. I think that they look like vicious criminals, said another person. I think they look like noble volunteers, said another. I think they look like treasonal, treacherous, treasonal, oh my god, treacherous villains. I think they look like concierges. One of them looks a bit like my mother. Who's the person saying mother in the movie? I mean, in the show? No. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The lobby seemed to be, to shake as the clock struck three in the morning. By now, Mr. Poe had escorted... Yeah. Oh, the witching hour. 
Mr. Poe had escorted the Baudelaire's to a far corner in the lobby where either Frank or Ernest was waiting next to the door marked 121 with a grim expression on his face as the last wrong echoed, oh, maybe 4 a.m. In the enormous room, ladies and gentlemen, the children turned to see Justice Strauss, who was standing in one of the wooden benches so that she could be seen clapping her hands for attention. Please settle down. The matter of the Baudelaire's guilt or innocence is not for you to decide. But that doesn't seem fair, remarked a man in the pajamas with a pattern of salmon swimming upstream. After all, they woke us up in the middle of the night. This case is a matter for high, for the high court, Justice Strauss said. The authorities have been notified and other judges of the court are on their way. We will be able to begin the trial in the matter of hours. I thought the trial was on Thursday, said um, said a woman in a nightgown emblazoned with the dancing clowns. Showing up early is one of the signs of a noble person, jo Justice Strauss said. Once the other nobles, judges have arrived, we will decide on this matter and equally important matters once and for all. There was a murmur of discussion in the crowd. I suppose that's all right, grumbled someone. All right, Geraldine Julian said. It's wonderful. I can see the headlines now. High Court finds Baudelaire's guilty. No one is guilty until the trial is over, Justice Strauss said, and for the first time the judge gazed down at the children and gave them a gentle smile. It was a, a smile mercy. It was a small mercy. That smile and the frightened Baudelaire smiled back. Justice Strauss stepped off the bench and walked through the murmuring crowd, followed by Jer Jerome Squalor. Don't worry, children, Jerome said. It looks like you won't have to wait until tomorrow for justice to be served. I hope so, Violet said. I thought the judges weren't allowed to reach the verdicts on people they know, Klaus said. Mm, normally that's true, Justice Strauss said. The law should be impartial and fair, but I, sh but I think that I can be fair where, the count, where count Olaf is concerned. Besides, Jerome said, there are two other judges in the high court. Justice Strauss's opinion is only one that is the only one that is not the only one that matters. I trust my fellow judges, Justice Strauss said. I've known them for years and they've always been concerned whenever I am reported on your case. Whenever I've reported on your case. I while we waited for them to arrive, however, I've asked the managers of the hotel to put you in room one twenty one to keep you away from this angry crowd. Without a word, Frank or Ernest unlocked the door and revealed a small, bare closet where Violet had found a harpoon gun. We'll be locked up, Klaus said nervously. Just to keep you safe, Justice Strauss said, until the trial begins. Yes, cried the, a cried, yes, cried a voice the children would never forget. The crowd parted to reveal Count Olaf, who walked towards the Baudelaire's with a triumphant gleam in his, gleam in his eyes. Lock them up, he said. We can't have treacherous people running around this hotel. There are noble, decent people here. Really? Colette asked. Ha, Count Olaf said. I mean, of course. The high courts will decide who's noble and who's wicked. In the meantime, the orphans should be locked in a closet. Here, here, Kevin said, one raising one arm and then the other in an ambidextrous salute. They're not the only ones, Justice Strauss said sternly. You, sir, have ha had also been accused of a great deal of treachery, and High Court is very interested in your case as well. You will be locked in room 165 until the trial begins. The man who was not Frank who was not Frank but Ernest, or vice versa, stepped sternly out of the crowd and took Olaf's arm. Fair enough, Olaf said. I'm happy to wait for the verdict of, high of the high court. Ha! The three siblings looked at one another and then around the lobby where the crowd was looking fiercely back at them. They did not want to be locked in a small room no matter what the reason was, and they could not understand why the idea of the high court 
Reaching over the verdict of Count Olaf made him laugh. However, they knew that arguing with the crowd would be bootless, a word here which means likely to get the siblings in even more trouble. And so, without another word, three Baudelaire stepped outside of the closet. Jerome and Justice Strauss gave them a little wave, and Mr. Poe gave them a little cough, and either Frank or Ernest stepped forward to shut the door. At the sight of the manager, the children suddenly thought of Dewey, but of the family, a thought not of Dewey, but of the family left behind, just as Violet, Klaus, and Sonny were all left behind after that first day on Briny Beach, the, the, and the dreadful news that they received there. We're sorry, said Sonny, and the manager looked down at the youngest Baudelaire and blinked. Perhaps he was Frank, and he thought that the Baudelaires had done something wicked, or perhaps he was Ernest and thought that the Baudelaires had done something noble. But either case, in either case, the manager looked surprised that the children were sorry. For a moment, he paused and gave them a tiny nod, but when he shut the door, the Baudelaire children were alone, and the room, the door of room 121 was surprisingly thick, and although the, the light Although the light of the lobby shone clearly through the gap at the bottom of the door, the noise of the crowd was nothing but a faint buzzing, like a swarm of bees or the working of a machine. The orphans sank into their floor, exhausted from their busy day and their terrible, terrible night. They took off their shoes and leaned up against one another in the cramped surroundings, trying to find a comfortable position and listening to the buzz of the arguing crowd in the lobby. What will happen to us? Violet asked. I don't know, Klaus said. Perhaps we should have run, Violet said. Like you suggested, Klaus. Perhaps a trial. Perhaps with a, at a trial, the middle Baudelaire said, the villains at least will be brought to justice. Olaf, Sunny asked, or us. What Sunny asked, of course, was whether Count Olaf, the villain who would be brought to justice, or if it would be the three Baudelaires, but her siblings had no answer for her. Instead, the eldest Baudelaire leaned in and kissed the top of her sister's head, and Klaus leaned up to kiss Violet's, and Sunny moved to kiss, moved her head first to, to the right and then to the left to kiss both of them. If you had been in the lobby of the Hotel Denouement, you would have not heard anything but run. From behind that thick door of room 121, as the Baudelaire's ended their conversation with a great shuddering sigh and nestled close to one another in a small space. You would have had to you would have had to be on the other side of the door, leaning against the children leaning against the children yourself to hear the tiny, quiet sounds of the Baudelaire orphans as they cried themselves to sleep, unable to answer Sunny's question. Sad sad poor little Baudelaire's. They just have the worst luck. It's like almost like they're in like the series of unfortunate events that keep happening. Wow, mom. <laughs> I know. I know. 